Welcome back. We're in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Let's go. Chapter 19, verse 11 says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So go to 11. So it says, Now I saw heaven open. So I'm going to go into some analysis right here. If you're alive at this time, you can't miss this. Let's look at Matthew 24, 29, which says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of a Man will appear in heaven, and then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Zechariah 14.6 says, It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. So we see from Matthew and Zechariah right there, they tell us that the universe will go dark and Jesus will be the only light. And he will be the only thing that people can see. So they will have no excuses. And so people who try to predict today, oh, or someone says, I'm the Messiah, or there's the Messiah, or the, um, you know, what if I miss the Messiah if he comes? Number one, you'll be raptured if you're a believer already. Number two, if you're not a believer, you enter and you enter into the tribulation, then, and you survive to the end of that seven-year tribulation, you won't miss this. Everything will go dark. He will be the only light out there everyone will see him at the same time and jesus will appear at petra to destroy the armies trying to attack the believers so i believe the bible tells us that he will first appear at petra bolzer petra is what we tend to call it and then he will appear and then he will go over to jerusalem and stand on the mount of olives so let's walk through uh, some of that. So Jesus will appear at Petra, destroy the armies trying to attack the believers there. Remember, there was a believing remnant at the beginning of the tribulation um, who, uh, I'm sorry, I believe it was at the mid-tribulation when they went. I'm getting that confused in my head right now. But earlier in the tribulation, there were uh, Jewish people who sought refuge in and went to Petra and have been held safe there. And they're believers in Jesus. And Jesus goes to help them because the Antichrist surrounded them with his army just like he surrounded Jerusalem with his army at the same time. And Jesus goes back to Petra first. 
If we look at Isaiah 34, 1-7, Come near you nations to hear, and heed you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth in it. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and his fury against their armies. He has utterly destroyed them, he has given them over to their slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown out, their stench shall rise from their corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heaven shall be rolled up like a scroll, and their host shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falling from a fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down on Edom. See that? Edom. That's that word right there. And the people of my curse for judgment. Then the sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Bozrah, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. So we see that where he mentions uh, Edom and Bozrah. Petra is this mountain rock fortress in Edom, which you saw in the Raiders of the Lost Ark with Harrison Ford. And Micah 2.12 says, I will surely assemble of all... I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. So in the fold is a, is from the word Bozrah and means sheepspen, which refers to Petra because of its unique natural mountainous enclosure. Jesus defeats the enemy at Petra and then leaves... Uh, where did it go? lost my place hold on he defeats the enemy and then leaves the believers as they accompany him to jerusalem where the antichrist has been raging war in jerusalem in a serious way for two days and he just uh, the antichrist and his army destroyed two-thirds of the people and then is israel we talked about this last episode universally accept jesus as their savior this has not happened yet this will happen at the very end of the tribulation the uh, to step back for a second so the kings of the earth some of the kings of the earth turned on the antichrist they destroyed babylon we talked about religious babylon had already fallen commercial babylon gets destroyed babylon itself ceases to exist and the antichrist is on a tear he's got nothing left to do he's got nothing left to lose except for just to try and annihilate israel because he knows that if he can do that then jesus won't come back because he knows that the, the Jews have to cry out to Jesus for uh, Jesus to come back. So he's trying to destroy him. So he surrounds him in Petra. He surrounds him in Jerusalem. And then all this happens. Jesus comes to Petra. Boom. Done. Done. They're saved. They follow him over to Jerusalem. Then he's approaching from the east, which makes sense because Bozrah is to the east of Jerusalem. And the Antichrist has been approaching Jerusalem and attacking from the west. And he'd been he'd been successful. The Antichrist and his army had been successful at destroying Jerusalem. They had destroyed two thirds of it. They had pillaged it. They had done horrible things to women, uh, rape and death and and all sorts of nasty stuff. And but there's one third of the people left in Israel, and they collectively and universally and individually at the same time turn to Jesus. Not in one tent setting where someone says something, they all raise their hand. They just all at the same time, by the supernatural power of God, all believe in Jesus at the same time. And that saving faith is that cry out to Jesus 
and he's ready. He's coming to save them. And that's their revival. That's that third day, just like the third day in the tomb. There were two days when everybody's like, we're done. We're toast. What have we been following in that third day? The rising from the ashes, the resurrection. That's what we're seeing here symbolically in Israel. And for fulfilled prophet, to fulfill prophecy, um, which is yet unfulfilled. Now Jesus is back and he will terminate the Antichrist and his armies. Zechariah 14.4, I'll read that says, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two, from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. So Zechariah 14.4 tells us that Jesus' feet will stand on the Mount of Olives when he gets to Jerusalem. So he approaches from the east, which we just talked about. Uh, Israel was being attacked from the west. The Mount of Olives being really the only mountain left in the world, because remember the terrain of the world had been changed during this latter part of the tribulation. And uh, it's split in two. creates this valley. And the newly believing Jews... Remember who were essentially born again on this third day of the attack uh, against the anti- from the Antichrist. They will flee. They will flee through this valley, through this channel to the east. We just read about that. What does that remind us of? It reminds us of the Jewish people heading east out of Egypt and being saved through a valley, not created by a mountain but by water, a valley of water, created instantly by God himself. You remember that story, the parting of the Red Sea? That's essentially what's going on here, only instead of water, it's a mountain. It's supernatural. It's of God himself. It's instant. And God is the creator of all, so he can do the supernatural, right? That's a miracle. Habakkuk 3.3 confirms that God will first appear at Petra. Let's read that. God came from Timon. Holy One from Mount Paran. Well, um, Taman refers to Edom. We also learn from Habakkuk 3.13, which says, You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation, from foundation to neck. So, we learn from Habakkuk 3.13 that Jesus will slice the Antichrist from foundation to neck, which means from his thigh to his neck. Some believe that this will kill the Antichrist. Some believe that he will not die, but will be thrown alive into the lake of uh, fire. I'll describe that in a little bit later. Um, but how does God do this? How does he slice him open from his thigh to his neck? Well, Thessalonians 2.8 says, And the lawless one will be revealed from whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one. So it says, with the breath of his mouth. And we know that from Hebrews, uh, I think it's 4.12, or 12.4, I think it's 4.12, um, that the 
word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So how does he fl- how does he slay the Antichrist from his thigh all the way up to his neck? Just by his breath, by opening his mouth. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it just slices him from his thigh to his neck. So the final battle in the war results in the death of the Antichrist and all his army, and the amount of blood is absolutely amazing. Uh, how do we how do we know how much blood there is? Let's look at Revelation fourteen twenty, which tells us it says the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for one thousand six hundred furlongs. So just tons of blood flowing, tons, hundreds of thousands, millions of people killed instantly by God, who were unbelieving, fighting against God and fighting against God's people. And then we'll see vultures or vulture-like birds come out and eat the carcasses, and the tribulation will end. All right, so that's what's in view here. That, I'll go through the timetable quickly, and then we'll uh, pray, and we'll pick up again tomorrow uh, with the rest of verse 11. You've got the, Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead three days later. He died for your sins. He put them away once and for all. He didn't just cover them like Old Old Testament uh, blood that just covered sin. He literally put it away once and for all. They used to sacrifice lambs. Well, he was the lamb. He is the lamb. He is the lamb of God. And he shows off his wounds to the disciples in the upper room to say, look, it's me. There's some type of a resurrected body that's different than our earthly bodies. And the spread of the church is evidence that God rose from the dead, and there's so much proof of the resurrection. You can see my podcast a couple episodes ago. And then the church age began at Pentecost, and it's still going, and it'll end with the rapture. Jesus comes in the clouds. He doesn't come down to earth. It's not his second coming. He appears in the clouds, and those who are alive at the time will uh, be raptured into heaven. And the dead will rise first, and then we'll have a seven-year tribulation. There'll be a pact with Israel made by the Antichrist at the beginning of the tribulation. They'll think he's awesome. They'll worship this one world religion. And then mid-tribulation, he declares that he is God, that he alone is worthy of worship. And he becomes, I believe, indwelled by Satan at that moment in time. Certainly demon-possessed and, and almost you know, highly, highly likely that he's actually possessed by Satan. And he does away with religious Babylon and says, no, you're not going to worship that, whatever that was or it was going to be. You're going to worship me, he says. And so he forces that worship. And finally, God sent his wrath with the seal judgments, the bull judgments, the trumpet judgments. Then the kings of the earth who supported them and rallied around him and kissed his butt end up turning on him and destroying commercial Babylon and Babylon. And then Jesus comes back at Petra. And he... uh, destroys the armies that surround Petra and safely leads the people of Petra out and they go to Jerusalem. They're heading from the east and Satan has been attacking Jerusalem from the west and they've killed two-thirds of the people in Jerusalem. Only a third remain. And on that third day, a third of them collectively, collectively, individually, uh, and universally accept Jesus Christ through supernatural means. They God gives them that gift of faith and they just believe at the same exact time. And So Jesus comes for them. And he destroys the Antichrist and his army. There's blood flowing everywhere. The birds will eat the flesh. Uh, the Antichrist and the 
false prophet are thrown as it's thrown alive into the lake of uh, fire. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later, kind of what that means. And uh, so, so that's it. And then, then it gets good. It gets really, really good after that. We'll go through a couple more uh, of these in the couple next episodes. But uh, we're about to get to the, to the amazing part, the eternal kingdom, the, the millennial kingdom for a thousand years, and then the eternal kingdom. Lord, we thank you for these truths. Help us to read your word, to understand it. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. and Help us see the world through your lens, Lord, to have a proper biblical worldview and to focus and chase after things of you, God, not things of this world, not shiny objects that the devil uses to distract us, Lord. Help us to focus on you starting today. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Daily Verse by Verse. We want you to be prepared in season and out of season to study the whole counsel of God so that you can share with people who Jesus is through your actions so that you have the right to tell them who Jesus is so that they can come to know Jesus or come to know Jesus better. We strongly encourage you to share this message, this podcast on your social media, Facebook, Instagram, message, email someone who you think could benefit from it. It's an easy way for you to go out and witness to the world just by sharing this podcast. We hope you'll join us tomorrow. Have a wonderful day.